Welcome to Combo Chain, a JRPG Games Club podcast. I'm Paul M. Davis, and in this episode, I am joined by... Leland Chuck. Welcome. Leland is one of my oldest friends, and it's a real pleasure to get him on the show. And he's not a big JRPG guy, so we had to... uh, Not yet. Not not yet. (laughs) If you want to get into a genre of 100-hour games with anime teenage girls <laughs> in short clothing who are trying to kill God, then, then I highly recommend Is that it. all the games? Not, not all of them, but <laughs> those are the, that's the tropes of the worst of them. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm, I'm always up for trying something new, especially now. It feels like there's, there aren't that many American games that are like really exciting. There's like maybe three or four a year. It seems like it's all big blockbuster stuff. And my game consumption has gone up during the pandemic. <laughs> So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah, yeah, I can definitely. And you've played, you've played like some like Final Fantasy. Oh, yeah, I played one of the one of the more recent ones, but not the last, the most recent one. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like you're totally unfamiliar with no. the genre. No, no, no. And in this episode, we're doing what is a hybrid, and you know, some some purists will probably say, I don't know if that's really a JRPG, but. I think it definitely is, and so do a lot of people. And the game that we are doing is Yakuza 0, which is uh, the wonderfully ridiculous prologue to uh, the soap opera of the series that spawned, I don't know, eight numbered entries, a spinoff, a series of remasters, and at least one shitty zombie-themed spinoff. There may be two, but I think there's only one. So I think it's called ah. Yakuza, Yakuza, or Yakuza Dead Tolls, and oh. it's apparently god-awful, and was on the PlayStation 3. Uh, so yeah, Leland, you want to tell us who you are and how you came to play uh, Yakuza 0? Well, I, I consider myself maybe like a casual plus gamer. I'm a big fan of the Rockstar games, and I've, I've, I could probably play Red Dead Redemption 2 like forever. It was painful for me to actually let it go, like when the story Mm -hmm. ended. When you recommended Yakuza 0, and I looked into it and did the little like video walkthrough for the first 15 minutes. I was like, oh, I can get into this. This sounds like a game that I would like. I don't exclusively play those third world, open world games, but I do like, when I do see a really good one, I, I do end up going that route. And I'm glad I did. Yeah, yeah. Yakuza is like interesting because... Sometimes it gets termed, we had this conversation in the previous episode about a very different game, but sometimes it gets termed as an open world game, and it's not really an open yeah, world game. Yeah, it's not really. But it does, it's a big sandbox, and it's also a really awesome sandbox. Is there anything else uh, you want to just like uh, tell us about like uh, your background? or My background? I'm a writer, I'm an author. Uh, mostly comedic novels, written two novels, book short stories, and working on more books. And uh, I'm also a publisher of uh, seven thirteen books, and we publish a uh, debut fiction, literary fiction. So yeah, look us up, look me up. 
I am fine. I'm the cancer guy. I'm the guy who survived. I'm the guy who survived cancer and published <laughs> a bunch of indie books. I, I, I'm best known for that. Now, you obviously know me as more than that. Uh, yeah, since, I, since do. We were I, I do. But but I'm the I'm the cancer guy who published a bunch of books and then started his own press to publish more debut book, first time uh, authors, and for that in general, people like me. <laughs> <laughs> and. Uh, Despite that, if you're not if you're not familiar with uh, Leland, uh, his books are funny, also. As I'd like to think so. I yes. put, put in way too much time on it, but uh, see, I, yeah, early on and early on during quarantine, I texted Leland and I was like, "How are things going?" And Leland texted back, "I'm working on a novel, playing video games, so it's not much different than usual." <laughs> <laughs> It's, it's it's not a bad gig if you can get it. It's not a very well paying gig either. Um, I'm I'm, luck, I'm lucky. I'm gainfully married to somebody gainfully employed. So. <laughs> that sounds almost worse that you're gainfully married. To yeah, gainfully, gainfully. It's gain. It's like gainful for all involved. <laughs> I, I'd like to think. I don't know. <laughs> But uh, yeah, I felt like that text was definitely, uh, I don't know, kind of emblematic about how the two of us have been friends for, I don't know, what, 30 years now? 30 years. Jesus Christ. Three decades. Holy shit. (laughs) (laughs) Anyway, but we are here to talk about Yakuza Zero. Shall we get started? Yeah, yeah, yeah. Dig in. So, Yakuza Zero is a prequel to... uh, Basically, the long-running series, and it's arguably a reboot, at least technically, uh, because it uses a new game engine that have been that has been reused in the reissues and the newer titles. It was released on the PS3 and the PS4 in March 2015 in Japan, and on the PS4 in, in January 27 in January 2017 in the West. It's arguably the game that made the series break out from having the cult status that it had for years. When the series began, Sega hoped that it'd be a Japanese equivalent to uh, Grand Theft Auto, and they spent a shit ton of money on full voice localization and everything, and it bombed really hard. And that was probably because it was very quirky and like very specifically Japanese, not only because it's set in Japan, but it's got a sense of humor to it that you really have to be a appreciator of Japanese culture to really <laughs> dig. Despite that, over the years, it developed a uh, cult following. But people were drawn to this like epic soap opera saga that spanned all these different games. It's really self-aware ridiculousness, the mix of JRPG mechanics and brawler action, and of course, like countless like memes and gifs and YouTube clips. I think my first introduction to it was seeing a YouTube clip of I think it's Yaku- uh, Yakuza Three, where you learn new moves by seeing things happen in the real world and then blogging about them on your uh, flip phone. 
And that was like the mechanic for like how you picked up new moves. Awesome. And when I, after I saw that video, I, I was like, oh yeah, this is a series I need to take a picture of. <laughs> this is a series I need to start paying it's attention like the, to. The Tumblr, the Tumblr app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> but it was such a niche series that Sony basically subsidized the localization costs to bring the game over here, which they've quietly done for a number of different kind of like niche Japanese series. Even though it's an in-canon prequel, Yakuza 0 is a new start for the series. It's got a way less janky game engine than the previous games. The ones that were you know, released, say, on the PS3. And it shifts to an 80s setting, which really just freshens up the whole series. It also came out just as JRPGs were having a big resurgence in the West. And literally at the same time as the likes of Persona 5 and Nier Automata coming out and becoming surprise hits. As far as go, it's definitely not in the Final Fantasy or Persona realm of popularity. Or it's uh, still not in the Final Fantasy or like Dragon Quest realm of popularity. But uh, with uh, Yakuza 0, the series became way more popular in the West. And now it's like a totally, fully viable franchise for Sega, who no longer need to rely on Sony's money to justify bringing it to the States. And I'm not sure how much the previous games were released on Xbox. I don't think they were. There were only a couple that were available. Like we, yeah, we were looking for this. Yeah, yeah. I, I think it's pretty much Sega's. Okay, Yakuza Zero is going to be like our big. Like we have a new game engine. We're going to really try and push this in the states again. Do you know if they're working Pro- on working on another one? Oh yeah, they're they're working on both another remaster, and they're working on. Yakuza 6, which is really interesting because for the first time in the entire series, all the battles are going to be turn-based like an old-school JRPG. Wow. So there's not going to be any kind of brawler action as far as we know. Nice. Um, Which I'm really excited about. I think it'll be a cool change. And I love the brawler mechanics. Yeah, yeah. It does it really well. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great. But... It'll be cool to see old school like Dragon Quest mechanics crafted onto the Yakuza world. So, yeah, I think they're pretty committed to it being a cross-platform, uh, bigger franchise. And just to, for a second to get into the weeds, I think it also ties into uh, ties into the fact that a few years ago, Sega bought Atlas which is Leland, I don't you're probably not familiar with Atlas. Mm-mm. They're one of the biggest developers of like second tier JRPGs. They are the developers of Persona and Shin Megami Tensei, which my other podcast, Mega Ten Marathon, is all about. Mm-hmm. But for years they really they were like solo agents who were proving that 
you can make these kind of like niche Japanese games. And as long as you kind of kept like the budget tight on it and were smart about marketing them, you could make a pretty decent business of them. And then Sega, a few years, I don't remember, maybe four years ago, bought them. And, but since Sega bought Atlas, they've been a lot more aggressive as far as like re embracing like JRPGs as a genre, using Atlas's in house skills because they have one of the best localization teams, like basically in the industry. And also trying to follow that model with Sega's own like mainline franchises as far as being, okay, if we keep costs and sales expectations down to a certain degree, like how big can we really grow this? And so I think all those factors really coincided to make Yakuza 0 like much bigger. And also the fact that the genre has not only had a resurgence, but it's also increasingly developers have been porting these games to PC. And so that has made the sales number. That's made the economics of bringing these like very text heavy games and localizing them, bringing them to America, even if they're super niche, that's made them made the economics a lot more feasible. So anyway, that's just like a little bit of the backstory. Do you want to just give us a bit about the setting? Yeah, yeah. It was actually one of my, one of my favorite parts of the game is where's the where the game is set and it's set during the Japanese uh, bubble era in the second half of the 1980s, a period of extremely high property prices in Japan during the country's massive economic boom. A lot of us who are old enough will Remember that the Americans were terrified that the Japanese were going to take over the world or be, become the number one country and overtake us in, in very similar ways to the way that we view China now. And back in the day, there were all those staggeringly racist films like Rising Sun. My brother recently rewatched Black Rain and said it was a great movie, but also staggeringly racist. Do you remember about Black Rain? I don't remember Black Rain at all. Black Rain is a Michael Douglas I think he's a racist cop, basically, and he has to solve this case in Japan. I believe my brother was like, "Oh, it's a great movie." Anyway, and during that time, companies like Nintendo intentionally downplayed the the Japanese ness of their games uh, in fear of anti Japanese sentiment. But this game, not that's not the case, right? It was very Japanese. the uh, The streets, you can feel the streets, like what it feels like to walk around in Tokyo. The bright lights, the vertical buildings. Um, and the game's principal locations were Kamarucho, uh, Tokyo, and Sotenbori, Osaka, cities where a lot of that new wealth was centered. And very lovingly documents both the economic excesses of that area, the cultural ridiculousness that was basically the 80s in any country. And because it's a video game made by and for nerds, seriously, fetishizes the technology of that time. Yeah, I, I mean, I, I, I loved going to the stores and just seeing Walkman and, you know, and there's a really great side quest that has to do with basically a stolen Famicom, or here in the U.S., NES cartridge. It's actually one of the, one of the, one of the sweeter side quests. That's the one with the kid. That's the one where, you're, one where you're, you're getting the kid's game back. Uh, yeah, exactly. Right. But yeah. Yeah, and everything is neon. 
<laughs> yes, bright lights, little alleyways. Like that's a very Japanese where you have these tall buildings, tiny alleyways where you find like all kinds of hidden stuff, hidden gems, hidden side quests and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, as far as mechanics go, Zero's mechanics are pretty similar to the rest of the series. It's a mix of JRPG leveling with kind of throwback, almost Streets of Rage-like arcade brawling. So good. So good. good. I love the fact that you can pick up objects. Oh, yeah. That's something that it's so simple, but... Being able to beat on a goon with a bicycle or something is just so satisfying. <laughs> what was your style of play? Preferred style of uh, melee or brawling? Honestly, I would just oftentimes go for the newest like skill that had been picked up. Yeah. And then, because... I'm a button masher and play like an idiot sometimes. Mm-hmm. Eventually, I would just fall back into, okay, how many times can I like just just do like basic melee attacks and mm-hmm. hit people with objects? <laughs> um, yes. What about you? I tried a little. I tried all of them actually, with various degrees of preference. I, the baseball bat one was probably my favorite. I, I would go to that a lot. The breakdancing one. I'd whip out every once in a while once you get there. <laughs> but yeah, those are the two ones that I, if I wanted to go fast, oh wait, oh, there was like the, there's like the Hulk one where he's like the, he's animal or what? I can't remember what it was called. Oh yeah. I can't remember the name of that one either. I used um, the, I used the Hulk one for a while, but yeah. Yeah. I mean, Hulk, some, sometimes ni- sometimes it's nice to be overpowered. I don't know. You know, once I get to those moments, I just want to start just hitting the buttons and mashing. And yeah, um, they do the well. If you press the button, well, you pre- they kept doing that. If you press the Y at the right time, you could trigger that little cutscene where he's like smashing the person's head against the wall, like, <laughs> or, like stomping the guy's face. <laughs> yeah, <laughs> yeah, yeah. The good old, uh, the good old uh, quick time event. Yeah, <laughs> there's a skill tree system. It's a bit simplified compared to uh, games like uh, Yakuza 4 and 5, which at times almost reach Final Fantasy-like levels of complexity as far as, oh, look at this incredibly long tree of different things. This game, it it resembles more of a Western RPG to me. There's not a bunch of branching paths and whatnot. As far as the interface goes, it's just very simplified. Did, though it did make me wonder about the exchange rate of the dollar to the yen at the time, since you had to buy them all in, in like tens of millions of yen. And I'm like, oh, is that a lot of money or is it not? I don't even, even know. It's hard to tell. I always... Is it the 80s? I, I have no idea. <laughs> That's a good question. <laughs> I hadn't even thought about it. Yep. It's just... Yep. It's... <laughs> It escalates quickly. It goes from like four hundred thousand to three hundred, like a hundred million. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I know. <laughs> it's you know, but it's also video game money. So yes, based on real money. But yeah, no, I enjoyed consuming. It's a very eighties game in that there's a lot of consumption in it. <laughs> oh yeah, yeah, and that's every 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 game in the series is like that. Even yeah. the ones that are set in present day. In the stores. I spent a lot of time in stores. 
The stores are one of the best things about the series, yes. I think. Yes. Oh, my God. Uh, just not only, like, the cultural archaeology, as far as just being able to walk around and look, but uh, getting an energy, energy drink and a pack of cigarettes and, like, yeah, using man. them as power-ups. Yeah, you know, like, a, a variety of alcohol, you know. Yeah, <laughs> using using them as buffs. <laughs> like, it's, it's great. But yeah, the other like kind of like major like mechanic probably is that you've got not only your regular quest lines, but you've got main story and side quest quest lines where you're building relationships with various NPCs. This sort of relationship building isn't generally as impactful on gameplay as, say, the social link system you'll find in uh, Persona or, like, the 5,000 other JRPGs that have added Persona-style social link systems. Anyway, so uh, Yakuza's connections that you make with the characters that aren't, like, main story characters, they're not that... They don't have that direct uh, impact on the gameplay, but they still have lasting, uh, lasting impact on the game's narrative and world, which I really like. Yeah. You, know, you can make the, uh, did you make friends with the convenience store lady? Yes. Yes. yes I did. Yes. Yeah. You get, yeah. you get points. So you get the, uh, whatever the CP stuff. Yeah, you do. You do actually, you do get a little bit of yeah. that kind of stuff yeah. out of it. Yeah. yeah. But I, I also, I, I was thinking more in the sense of, and a lot of, a lot of games, you, you do a side quest with NPC, mm-hmm. and then you never see him again. Even if it's, say, a character that you help out, you run into him a few hours later, and they're just like, hey, things are going great in my life. Thanks so much, or something. Or right. whatever. They're not totally forgotten, which is nice. Yeah. Also, because it's a Yakuza game, there are a ton of mini-games. So... We're just going to run down through a few of the really notable minigames because there are so many of them. But one of the like total Yakuza series staples is going into the arcade and playing classic Sega arcade games. So you can go in there, you can play Outrun, Space Harrier, even like more obscure titles like Fantasy Zone. They have UFO Catcher, which is a big thing in Sega arcades in Japan. And it's basically just one of those. It's the claw, right? Yeah, it's a claw, basically. That was impossible. It's (laughs) fucking impossible, man. (laughs) I tried that for a good way too long, and I had to quit. It's never worth it. It's never worth it. (laughs) But... The UFO catchers are beloved, apparently, in Japan. <laughs> and it's a beloved part of the series, even though it's entirely a waste of your time. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get caught in that wormhole. Yeah. Leave, leave the little girl. That asks, <laughs> asks, leave her. That asks you to do it. But it is nice, uh, nice little bit of uh, verisimilitude. Yes. Um, <laughs> And an interesting note that I'm just going to add here that I'm sure listeners, some listeners will be familiar with, but in Japan, Sega actually owns a chain of arcades. So it's not entirely a fictional thing 
that you're going to the Sega arcade. Yeah, it's like, not like a it's not a vanity thing. It's not like yeah. a branding thing. It's an actual thing. Yeah, totally. Oh, you can go to the batting cage. There's another one. Yeah, yeah. There's the batting cage. I didn't really spend much time in that. No, I, I didn't do very well. I think I, I probably could have. I spent more time on it. But there's the karaoke, which is a it's a hard rhythm. It's a rhythm game that's like a dance revolution, but just extremely difficult. And <laughs> and the songs are very emotive. Uh, they're e is very emo. Very, yeah. so, so, a lot of soft rock. <laughs> yeah, they are, and it's really worth getting good at them so you can get some of those meme-worthy em- endings. And I don't know if you saw it or got to it, but in the, for the song 24 Hour Cinderella, I'll definitely add a link to this in the show link, at the end of the song, all of a sudden, uh, Kiryu and a bunch of his buddies turn into a boy band. <laughs> and start doing synchronized dancing on a stage and it is the most delightful thing in the world <laughs> <laughs> so let's see there's a uh, slot car racing it's not super interesting but it is worthwhile to see just how seriously uh kiryu takes a uh, rc car racing kit game for kids <laughs> there's there's phone sex which is generally problematic. It's a, you get to go in one of those clubs where you just walk into kind of a booth and, and talk to a girl on the other line. In this one, you actually learn a little bit about the, the girl that's on the other end of the line. Like she actually has a life story, and it's a, it's a sad one, and to, which takes Kuryu aback because <laughs> he's not expecting it, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and speaking of uh, <laughs> really problematic, there's the betting on girl fights minigame. I don't know oh, right. That. I did see that as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Didn't spend a whole lot of time with that. There's uh, there's fishing because every JRPG has to have a fishing minigame. And it's about as interesting as any other fishing minigame, which means not very interesting at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Do you get to, do you get to get other like lots of different types of fish? You do. Okay. And I don't know what it is because even I I spent like a good month and a half playing the latest Animal Crossing, mm-hmm. which is basically doing a lot of pointless shit yeah. <laughs> and enjoying it. But even in that game. The fishing, just like, I could not do it. It just pissed me off. <laughs> I think about uh, Red Dead Redemption 2's fishing and hunting games that I actually got into. I don't know why. <laughs> like, they're usually not very interesting. but and, and I don't know if they did that much better of a job of it. But uh, Are they better than you've got a timer, basically? You've just got to click it at the right time? Because that's basically... Almost every JRPG fishing mini game is. No, it's uh, well, they they make it tactile. Like uh, you had to like press a button to put the bait on and cast right. the hook back and throw it in, and then if it like, and then if you feel a little pulled, then you're supposed to use the right joystick to reel the fish in slowly. If you do it too fast, it runs away. Okay. You know, they, they like simulate what fishing would be like. Which, and I've I'm not a I've been fishing. I didn't find it very interesting in real life, so 
<laughs> I can see why you might not find it interesting in virtual life, but for whatever, for whatever reason, the tactical part of it was what I found interesting in, in Red Dead Redemption 2. But I, I didn't actually, unfortunately, I didn't try the fishing game, even though yeah. it was right, right in front of me in, uh, in Yakuza. Yeah, I, I, you, did, you didn't miss out on much. Nice boat. Looked like it happened on a nice boat. <laughs> it's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you've got uh, running a hostess bar. Where we also get into some pretty pro- kind of problematic. I don't know. Let's just say, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's pretty sexist. sexist. It's, it's, it's pretty, sexist. pretty sexist. You have to staff like your hostess. Yeah, yeah it's pretty sexist. <laughs> um, level of good lookingness or like dressedness or whatever. <laughs> I, I was just trying. I was just trying to like think about like maybe contextualizing it for the time. But yeah, it's pretty sure. sexist. The whole um, whole storyline is he runs this nightclub and like he has to go out of the nightclub to look for the best girl in town or whatever to work as totally. <laughs> totally uh, you know yeah and it's ziggy stuff but it's another series staple and i'd say the one redeeming thing about it is that kiryu is kind of portrayed as a reasonably honorable hostess bar owner as much as one can be he's never like perving on the hostesses like as far as like, trying to like get like sexual favors from them and when customers cross the line he always has their back so Right. Uh, so he's, he's a good boss. He's a good boss. He's, he's a good boss. Yeah. We'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, other than that, there's, uh, there's dancing. It's basically the 80s. The dance and mini game. It's another kind of rhythm game. It plays with the uh, neon and the bad taste and uh, just that glorious cheesiness more than anywhere else in the game. I don't know about you, but I almost got a like, Saturday Night Fever vibe from it, even though that's like a decade earlier. That's curious when he, when he changes into the white suit. It's pretty much John Travolta. Totally. <laughs> did you, uh, this is before we even get into the story, did you come across uh, Michael Jackson? No. What was it's this? Not, it's not really Michael Jack- Jackson, of course, but... There is a side interaction where you come across a mysterious American pop star who is basically Michael Jackson, and you only see them in silhouettes, and you learn how to moonwalk. Oh, yeah, yeah, I did that. Yeah. I did that. Uh, yeah, yeah, no, yeah. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> That's not the one with the, where you start flinging money. Is it like the skill you learn is to like fling money? Like, no, I don't think I don't think so. Mm. I don't think I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. I might be I might be uh, conflating the two, yeah. the two uh, side stories. But yeah, the flinging money one was also also strange. It's like you meet this rich guy who teaches you how to fling money in the in the, in the, in the middle of the street. Hello, welcome to Combo Chain, a JRPG Games Club podcast. I'm Paul M. Davis, and in this episode, I am joined by... Leland Chuck. Welcome, Leland. Leland is one of my oldest friends, and it's a real pleasure to get him on the show. And he's not a big JRPG guy, so we had to... uh, Not yet. Not not yet. (laughs) (laughs) <laughs> if you want to get into a genre of 100-hour games with anime teenage girls, 
<laughs> in short clothing who are trying to kill God, then, then I highly recommend Is that it. all the games? <laughs> Not all of them, but <laughs> those are the, that's the tropes of the worst of them. <laughs> but, <laughs> I'm, I'm always up for trying something new, especially now. It feels like there's, there aren't that many American games that are like really exciting. There's like maybe three or four a year. It seems like it's all big blockbuster stuff. And my game consumption has gone up during the pandemic. <laughs> So. Yeah, of course. <laughs> of course. Yeah. Yeah. I, I can definitely definitely recommend some and you've played you've played like some like Final Fantasy. Oh yeah, I played one of the one of the more recent ones, but not the last mo- the most recent one. Yeah, yeah. So it's not like you're totally unfamiliar with no. the genre. No, no, no. And in this episode we're doing what is a hybrid and some purists will probably say, I don't know if that's really a JRPG. But I think it definitely is, and a lot of people. The game that we are doing is Yakuza 0, which is uh, the wonderfully ridiculous prologue to uh, the soap opera of the series that spawned, I don't know, eight numbered entries, a spinoff, a series of remasters, and at least one shitty zombie-themed spinoff. There may be two, but I think there's only one. I think it's called Yakuza, Yakuza, or Yakuza Dead Souls, and oh. it's apparently god-awful, and was on the PlayStation 3. <laughs> so yeah, Leland, you want to tell us who you are and how you came to uh, play uh, Yakuza 0? Well, I, I consider myself maybe like a casual plus gamer. I'm a big fan of the Rockstar games, and I've, I, I could probably play Red Dead Redemption 2 like forever. It was painful for me to actually let it go, like when the story Mm -hmm. ended. When you recommended Yakuza 0, and I looked into it and did the little like video walkthrough for the first 15 minutes. I was like, oh, I can get into this. This sounds like a game that I would. I don't exclusively play those third world, open world games, but I do like when I do see a really good one, I, I do end up going that route. And I'm glad I did. Yeah, yeah. Yakuza is like interesting because. Sometimes it gets termed, we had this conversation in the previous episode about a very different game, but sometimes it gets termed as an open world game, and it's not really an open yeah, world game. Yeah, it's not really. But it does, it's a big sandbox, and it's also a really awesome sandbox. Yeah. Is there anything else uh, you want to just tell us about, like, uh, your background? or My background? I'm a writer. I'm an author. Uh, mostly comedic novels, written two novels, book short stories, and working on more books. And uh, I'm also a publisher of the 713 books, and we publish uh, debut fiction, literary fiction. So, yeah, look us up. Look me up. Yeah, I'm fine. I'm the cancer guy. I'm the guy who survived, I'm the guy who survived cancer and published <laughs> the indie books. I, I'm best known for that. Uh, you obviously know me as more than that. Yeah, but I'm the cancer guy who published a bunch of books and then started his own press to publish more debut book, first time uh, authors. And for that, in general, people like me. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, despite that, if you're not if you're not familiar with Leland, um, his books are very, very funny. Also, I'd, I'd like to think so. I yes. put, put in way too much time on it. But uh, Let's see, what was I going to say? Oh, yeah. I, yeah, early on in early on during quarantine, I texted Leland and I was like, "How are things going?" And Leland texted back, "I'm 
working on a novel and playing video games, so it's not much different than usual. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, it's not a bad gig, if you can get it. It's not a very well-paying gig, either. Uh, I'm, luck, I'm lucky I'm uh, gainfully married to somebody gainfully employed. So. <laughs> <laughs> that sounds almost worse that you're gainfully married. Just yeah, gainfully, <laughs> gainfully. It's gay. It's like gainful for all involved. <laughs> I, I'd like to think. I don't know. <laughs> but uh, yeah, I like that text was definitely uh, I don't know, kind of emblematic about of how the two of us have been friends for I don't know, what thirty years now? Thirty years. Jesus Fucking Christ! Christ. Three decades. Yeah. Holy shit. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, we are here to talk about Yakuza Zero. So, uh, shall we? Shall we get started? Yeah, yeah. Dig in. Yakuza Zero is a prequel to uh, basically the long-running series, and it's arguably a reboot, at least technically, because it uses a new game engine that have been that has been reused in the reissues and the newer titles. It was released on the PS3 and the PS4 in March 2015 in Japan, and on the PS4 in, in January 27, in January 2017 in the West. It's arguably the game that made the series break out from having the cult status that it had for years. When the series began, Sega hoped that it'd be a Japanese equivalent to uh, Grand Theft Auto and. They spent a shit ton of money on full voice localization and everything, and it bombed really hard. And that was pro- probably because it was very quirky and like very specifically Japanese. Not only because it's said in Japan, but it's got a sense of humor to it that you really have to be a appreciator of Japanese culture to really dig but despite that over the years it developed a uh, cult following people were drawn to this like epic soap opera saga that spanned all these different games it's like really self-aware ridiculousness the mix of jrpg mechanics and brawler action and of course countless like memes and gifs and youtube clips I think my first introduction to it was seeing a YouTube clip of, I think it's Yakuza 3, where you learn new moves by seeing things happen in the real world and then blogging about them on your uh, flip phone. (laughs) (laughs) And that was like the mechanic for like how you picked up new moves. Awesome. And... When I, after I saw that video, I, I was like, oh, yeah, this is a series I need to take pictures on. Uh, this is a series I need to start paying like attention the, to. The Tumblr app. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but it was such a niche series that for a while, Sony basically subsidized the localization costs to bring the game over here, which they've quietly done for a number of different kind of like niche Japanese series. Even though it's an in-canon prequel, Yakuza Zero is kind of a new start for the series. It's got a way less janky game engine than the previous games. The ones that were, you know, released, say, on the PS3. 
and it shifts to an 80s setting, which really just freshens up the whole series. It also came out just as JRPGs were having a big resurgence in the West, and literally at the same time as the likes of Persona 5 and Nier Automata coming out and becoming surprise hits. As far as RPGs go, it's definitely not in the Final Fantasy or Persona realm of popularity. Or it's uh, still not in the Final Fantasy or uh, like Dragon Quest realm of popularity. But uh, with uh, Yakuza 0, the series became way more popular in the West. And now it's like a totally, fully viable franchise for Sega who no longer need to rely on Sony's money to justify bringing it to the States. And I'm not sure how much the previous games were released on Xbox. I don't think they were. I think so. There were only a couple that were available. Like we, yeah, we were looking for this. Yeah. Yeah. I I think it's pretty much Sega was like, okay, Yakuza zero is going to be like our big, like we have a new game engine. We're going to really try and push this in the States again. Do you know if they're working on on another one? Oh yeah. Yeah. They're working on both a, another remaster and they're working on Yakuza six, which is really interesting because for the first time in the entire series, it's going to be all the battles are going to be turn-based like an old school JRPG. Wow. So there's not going to be any kind of brawler action as far as we know, Nice. which I'm really excited about. I think it'll be a cool change. And I love the brawler mechanics. Yeah, in yeah. Game. It does it really but, well. Yeah, yeah. It's great. It's great. But it'll be cool to see your like uh, <laughs> old school like Dragon Quest mechanics grafted on to uh, the Yakuza world. So, yeah, I think they're pretty committed to it being um, a cross-platform, uh, bigger franchise, and just to for a second to get into the weeds. I think it also ties into uh, ties into the fact that a few years ago, Sega bought Atlas, which is, and I don't, you're probably not familiar with Atlas. <laughs> They're one of the biggest developers of like second tier JRPGs. They are the developers of Persona and Shin Megami Tensei, which their podcast, Mega Ten Marathon, is all about. But for years, they really, they were like solo agents who were proving that you can make these kind of like niche Japanese games. And as long as you kind of kept like the budget tight on it and were smart about marketing them, you could make a pretty decent business of them. And then Sega, a few years, I don't remember, maybe four years ago, bought them. And they have been, it might have been a bit longer, but since Sega bought Atlas, they've been a lot more aggressive as far as re-embracing like, JRPGs as a genre, using Atlas's in-house skills because they have one of the best localization teams like basically in the industry and also 
trying to follow that model with Sega's own like mainline franchises as far as being like, okay, if we keep costs and sales expectations down to a certain degree, like how big can we really grow this? And so I think all those factors really coincided to make Yakuza Zero like much bigger. And also the fact that the genre has not only had a resurgence, but it's also increasingly developers have been porting these games to PC. And so that has made the, you know, sales number that's made the economics of bringing these like very text heavy games and localizing them, bringing them to America, even if they're super niche, that's made them made the economics a lot more feasible. Anyway, that's just like a little bit of the backstory. Do you want to just give us a bit about? Yeah, uh, yeah. It was actually one of my one of my favorite parts of the game is where's the where the game is set, and it's set in, during the Jap- Japanese uh, bubble era in the second half of the nineteen eighties, a period of extremely high property prices in Japan during the country's massive economic boom. A lot of us who are old enough will remember that the Americans were terrified that the Japanese were going to take over the world or be, become the number one country and overtake us in, in very similar ways to the way that we view China now. And back in the day, there were all those staggeringly racist films like Rising Sun. My brother recently uh, rewatched Black Rain and said it was a great movie, but also staggeringly racist. Do you remember about Black Rain? I don't remember Black Rain at all. Black Rain is a Michael Douglas I think he's a racist cop, basically, and he has to solve this case in Japan. I believe my brother was like, oh, it's a great movie. Anyway, and during that time, companies like Nintendo intentionally downplayed the, the Japanese-ness of their games uh, in fear of anti-Japanese sentiment. But this game, not, that's not the case. It was very Japanese. The, the streets, you can feel the streets, like what it feels like to walk around in Tokyo, the bright lights, the vertical buildings, and uh, you, the, the game's principal locations were Kamarucho, uh, Tokyo, and Sotenbori, Osaka, cities where a lot of that new wealth was centered and uh, very lovingly documents both the economic, uh, the economic excesses of that area, the cultural ridiculousness that was basically the 80s in any country, and because it's a video game made by and for nerds, seriously fetishizes the technology of that time. Yeah, I, I, I loved going in stores and just seeing like Walkman and and there's a really there's a really great we'll talk about it later, but there's a really great side quest that has to do with basically a stolen Famicom or here in the US uh, NES cartridge. It's actually one of the one of the one of the sweeter side quests. That's the one with the kid. That's the one where, you're, one where you're, you're getting the kid's game back. Oh uh, yeah, exactly. Okay. But yeah. Yeah, and everything is neon. <laughs> yes, bright lights, little alleyways. Like that's sort of very uh, Japanese where you have these tall buildings, tiny alleyways where you find like all kinds of hidden stuff, hidden gems, hidden side quests and stuff like that. Yeah. So yeah, as far as the mechanics go, Yakuza Zero's mechanics are pretty similar to the rest of the series. It's a mix of JRPG leveling with throwback, almost Streets of Rage-like arcade brawling so good um it's so good it's so good i love the fact that you can pick up objects oh yeah that's something that it's so simple 
but being able to beat on a goon with a bicycle or something is just so satisfying. What was your style of play? Preferred style of uh, melee or brawling? Honestly, I would just oftentimes go for the newest like skill that had been picked up. Yeah. And then because I'm a button masher and play like an idiot sometimes, mm-hmm. eventually I would just fall back into okay, how many times can I like just just do like basic melee attacks and mm-hmm. hit people with objects? <laughs> um, yes. What about you? I tried a little I tried all of them actually. With various degrees of, of preference, I, the baseball bat one was probably my my favorite. I, I would go to that a lot. The break dancing one, I'd whip out every once in a while. <laughs> once you get there, <laughs> uh, but yeah, those are the two ones that I, if I wanted to go fast. Oh wait, oh there was like the there was like the Hulk one where he's like the he's kind of animal or whatever. I can't remember what it was called. Oh yeah, I can't remember the name of that one either. I used um, the, I used the Hulk one for a while. But yeah. yeah, sometimes it's nice to be overpowered. I don't know. You know, when, once I get to those moments, I just want to start just hitting the buttons and mashing and, yeah, you know. They um, do the, well, if you press the button, well, you pre- they kept doing that. If you press the Y at the right time, you could trigger that little cutscene where they're, he's like smashing the person's head against the wall or like stomping the guy's face. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, yeah. The good old, uh, old uh, quick time event. Yep. Yeah. <laughs> There's a skill tree system. It's a bit simplified compared to games like uh, Yakuza 4 and 5, which at times almost reach like Final Fantasy level levels of complexity. Almost reach Final Fantasy like levels of complexity as far as oh, look at this incredibly long tree of different things. This game it remem- it resembles more of a western yeah, RPG to me. There's not a bunch of bran- branching paths and whatnot. It's yep. just very, as far as the interface goes, it's just very simplified. Did, though it did make me wonder about the exchange rate of the dollar to the yen at the time, since you had to buy them all in, in like tens of millions of yen. And I'm like, oh, is that a lot of money or is it not? I don't even know. It's hard to tell. I always... Is that the 80s? I, I have no idea. <laughs> That's a good question. I hadn't even thought about it. It's yes. just yes. Well, it escalates. Yes, it escalates quickly. It goes from like four hundred thousand to like three hundred, like a hundred million. Yeah, <laughs> you know. I know. <laughs> it's you know, but it's also video game money. So yes, yes, pay some real money. But you know. yeah, I enjoyed consuming. It's a very eighties game in that there's a lot of consumption in it. <laughs> Oh yeah, yeah, and that's every every, every game in the series is like that. Even yeah. the ones that are set in present day. I spent a I lot mean, of what? time in the stores. I spent a lot of time in stores. The stores are one of the best things about the series. Yes. I think. Yes. Oh my god, uh, just not only like the cultural archaeology, but as far as just being able to walk around and look. But uh, getting an en- energy drink and a pack of cigarettes and like yeah, using man. them as power ups. No, you get like, a variety of alcohol. Using using them as buffs. Yeah. <laughs> it's, it's great. It's great. 
But yeah, the other like like major like mechanic probably is that you've got not only your regular quest lines, but you've got main story and side quest quest lines where you're building relationships with various NPCs. This sort of relationship building isn't generally as impactful on gameplay as, say, the social link system you'll find in uh, Persona or, like, the 5,000 other JRPGs that have added Persona-style social link systems. But, and just for Leland's benefit, I'll just explain really shortly. Basically, in Persona, a whole point, a major point of the game is building up friendships mm-hmm. with other characters. Yeah. And that is how you build up additional skills yeah. in the game. Yeah. A few, and it's not, uh, uh, the main ones are other people in your party, right. but it can also just be like the drunk that hangs out in the street or whatever, and you help them out, but what it, you get some kind of mechanical benefit from it in the game as far as like within like battle system or your ability to buy more in stores or something like that anyway so you yakuza's connections that you make with the characters that aren't like main story characters they're not that they don't have that direct impact on the gameplay but they still have lasting uh lasting impact on the game's narrative and world which i really like yeah you, know, you can make the, uh did you make friends with the convenience store lady yes yes yes, I yes. yeah you get yeah. your points so you get the uh whatever the cp stuff yeah you do you do you do actually you do get a little bit of yeah. that kind of stuff yeah. out of it you know? yeah but i also i was thinking more in the sense of you know in a lot of games you do a side quest with NPC, mm-hmm. and then you never see him again. Even if it's, say, a character that you help out, you run into him a few hours later, and they're just like, hey, things are going great in my life. Thanks so much, or something. Or right. whatever. They're not totally forgotten, which is nice. Yeah. Also, because it's a Yakuza game, there are a ton of mini games. So... This is, we're just going to run down through a few of the really notable mini games because there are so many of them. But one of the like total Yakuza series staples is going into the arcade and playing classic Sega arcade games. So you can go in there, you can play Outrun, Space Harrier, even like more obscure titles like Fantasy Zone. They have these kind of I'm going to have to look up the name UFO Hunter sorry okay they have the UFO catcher which is a big thing in Sega arcades in Japan and it's basically just one of those it's the claw right yeah it's a claw basically that was impossible it's (laughs) fucking impossible man (laughs) I tried, I tried that for a good a way too long, and I had to quit. It's never worth it. It's never worth it. <laughs> but the UFO catchers are beloved, apparently, in Japan. <laughs> and it's a beloved part of the series, even though it's 
entirely a waste of your time. <laughs> don't, don't, don't get caught in that wormhole. Yeah. Leave, leave the little girl. That ass, <laughs> ass, leave her. Leave that ass to it. But it is nice, uh, nice little bit of uh, verisimilitude. Yes. Um, <laughs> and an interesting note that I'm just going to add here that I'm sure listeners, some listeners will be familiar with, but in Japan, Sega actually owns a chain of arcade of arcades, so it's not entirely a fictional thing that you're going to the Sega arcade. Yeah, it's like, not like a it's not a Vandy thing. It's not like yeah. a brand, branding thing. It's an actual thing. Yeah, totally. Okay, you can go to the batting cage. There's another one. Yeah, yeah. There's the batting cage. I didn't really okay. spend much time in that. No, I, I didn't do very well. I think I, I probably could have if I spent more time on it. But there's the karaoke, which is a it's a hard rhythm. It's a rhythm game that's like a dance revolution, but just extremely difficult. And and the songs are very emotive. Uh, they're very emo. Very, yeah. a, a lot of soft rock. <laughs> yeah, they are, and it's really worth it's really worth getting good at them so you can get some of those meme worthy em- endings. And I don't know if you saw it or got to it, but in the, for the song Twenty Four Hour Cinderella. I'll definitely add a link to this in the show link. At the end of the song, the, at the end of the song, all of a sudden, uh, Kiryu and a bunch of his buddies turn into a boy band <laughs> and start doing synchronized dancing on a stage, and it is the most delightful thing in the world. <laughs> <laughs> So let's see. There's a uh, slot car racing. It's not super interesting, but it is worthwhile to see just how seriously uh, Kiryu takes a uh, RC car racing ki- game for kids. <laughs> there's uh, there's phone sex, which is uh, generally problematic. But it's, uh, you get to go in one of those clubs where you just walk into kind of a booth and, and talk to a girl on the other line. In this one, you actually learn a little bit about the, the girl that's on the other end of the line. Like she actually has a life story, and it's, it's a sad one, and to, which takes Kuryu aback because <laughs> he's not expecting it, right? Mm-hmm. Exactly, exactly. Yeah, and speaking of really problematic, there's the hitting on girl fights minigame. I don't know oh, right. I, I, did, I did see that as well. Yes. Yeah. Yes. Didn't spend a whole lot of time with that. There's uh, there's fishing because every JRPG has to have a fishing mini game, and it's about as interesting as any other fishing mini game, which means not very interesting at all. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Did you get to get other like lots of different types of fish? You do. Okay. And I don't know what it is because even. I, I spent like a good month and a half playing the latest Animal Crossing, mm-hmm. which is basically doing a lot of pointless shit yeah. <laughs> and enjoying it. But even in that game, the fishing just like I could not do it. It just pissed me off. <laughs> I think about uh, Red Dead Redemption 2's fishing and hunting games that I actually got into. I don't know why. <laughs> like they're usually not very interesting, 
but and and I don't know if they did that much better of a job of it. But are they better than you've got a timer? Basically, you just got to click it at the right time because that's basically almost every JRPG fishing mini game is. No, it's uh, well, they they make it tactile. Like uh, you had to like press a button to put the bait on and cast right. the hook back and throw it in, and then if it like, and then if you. Sh- you feel a little pulled, and you're supposed to use the right joystick to reel the fish in slowly. If you do it too fast, it runs away. Okay. You know, they like simulate what fishing would be like. Which, and I've, I'm not a. I've been fishing. I didn't find it very interesting in real life. So, <laughs> I, I can see why you, you might not find it interesting in virtual life. But for whatever yeah, I, for whatever reason, the tactical part of it was what I found interesting in, in Red Dead Redemption Two. But I, I didn't actually, unfortunately, I didn't try the fishing game. Even yeah. though it was right, right in front of me in uh, in Yakuza. Yeah, I, I, you did you didn't miss out on much. Nice boat. Look at having on a nice boat. <laughs> it's true. That's true. <laughs> yeah, you've got a uh, running a hostess bar where we also get into some pretty pro- kind of problematic. It's not totally sexist. I don't know. Let's just say, yeah, it, it's, it's, it's pretty sexist. sexist. It's, it's, it's pretty, sexist. pretty sexist. You have to staff like your hostess. Yeah. Yeah, it's pretty sexist. <laughs> um, level of good lookingness or dressedness or whatever. <laughs> I, I was just trying. I was just trying to like think about like maybe contextualizing it for the time. But yeah, that's pretty sure. sexist. The whole um, whole storyline is he runs this nightclub and like he has to go out of the nightclub to look for the best girl in town or whatever. Towards totally, <laughs> totally. Uh, you know, yeah, and it's dicky stuff, but it's another series staple, and I'd say the one redeeming thing about it is that Kiryu is kind of portrayed as a reasonably honorable hostess bar owner, as much as one can be. He's never, like, perving on the hostesses, like, as far as like, trying to, like, get, like, sexual favors from them, and when customers cross the line, he always has their back. Uh, he's a good boss. He's a good boss. He's, he's a good boss. Yeah. We'll, we'll yeah. put it that way. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and then, yeah, other than that, there's uh, there's dancing. It's basically the 80s. The dancing minigame. It's another kind of rhythm game. It plays up the uh, neon and the bad taste and uh, just that glorious cheesiness more than anywhere else in the game. I don't know about you, but I almost kind of got like uh, like... Saturday Night Fever vibe from it, even though that's like a decade earlier. That's curious when he when he changes into the white suit. It's pretty much John Travolta. <laughs> totally. Did you? Did you? This is before we even get into the story. Did you come across uh, Michael Jackson? No. What was it's this? Not, it's not really Michael ja- Jackson, of course, but there is a side interaction where you come across a mysterious American pop star who is basically Michael Jackson and you only see them in silhouette and you learn how to moonwalk. Oh yeah, I did that. Yeah. I did that. Yeah. yeah, yeah. No, I, yeah. That was interesting. Mm-hmm. <laughs> is that, was, is, that's not the one with the, where you start flinging money. Is it? Like the skill you learn is to like fling money, like. No, make, I don't think. I don't think so. Mm. I don't think. I don't think so. Mm. I don't think so. so I might be uh, conflating the two, yeah. the two uh, side stories. But yeah, the flinging money one was also also strange. 
It's like you meet this rich guy who teaches you how to fling money in the, in the, in the, in the, in the middle of the street. Yeah, let's move on to the story. So we begin in December of 1988, and uh, Kazuma Kiryu is a low-ranking member of the Tojo clan's Dojima family. He works in the Tokyo district of Kamurocho under the supervision of his foster father and family captor and family captain, Shintaro Kazama, who was recently arrested and awaits trial. Kazuma beats up a salary man in an empty lot on behalf of the family loan shark. After giving the uh, collected money to the loan shark, he goes out with his best friend and sworn brother, Akira, for a night of karaoke, drinking, and ramen. When they wake up hungover the next morning, they see on the news that the uh, man Kiryu beat up, ended up dying, and the police are investigating. And then Kiryu reports to Dojima family office for, the, for a meeting with the family's three lieutenants, Daisuke Kuze, one of my favorite villains, Hiroki Awano and the dapper Shibusawa <laughs> with the, with the well-coiffed mustache and always well-dressed. <laughs> uh, the uh, lieutenants tell him that they know he assaulted the murdered man. And uh, since the police will probably discover this, he has to turn himself in to keep the police off, his, off the family's back. And this is where Kiryu learns that the man was killed with a gunshot wound to the head, not beaten to death, which we saw in the cutscene earlier. Uh, so he insists that someone is framing him for the murder. The lieutenants don't believe Kiryu and insist that he turn himself in. And the empty lot is in the middle of a portion of land in the city of Tokyo that the city of Tokyo plans to buy for a massive redevelopment project. Uh, yeah, yeah. Meanwhile, despite this, the the Jima family has been acquiring that land for the Tojo clan. So uh, they can sell it to the city at an inflated value. And uh, the murders basically complicated those plans. They want the investigation to be uh, resolved quickly. The lieutenants tell Kiryu that Patriarch Dojima has offered him the position of family captain, or that uh, Patriarch Dojima has often has offered the has offered the position of family captain to whichever one of them acquires the empty lot for him. Kiryu figures out that one of them is behind the murder and is uh, trying to frame him so that they can remove his foster father from the family as well. Then, after a really brief investigation, Kiryu basically figures out that it was uh, Lieutenant Kuze who organized the setup. Ah, uh, Kuze. Kuze, that, that evil bastard. Yeah, I know. After being forced out of the family, uh, Kiryu meets Tetsu Tachibana, who owns a real estate company and promises to help Kiryu clear his name. Uh, Kiryu learns that Tachibana was hired by his then-incarcerated foster father, Shintaro Kazama, to help him to prevent the empty lot from falling into Dojima's hands. And uh, while, the, while waiting for Tachibana to gather information about the lot's owner, Kiryu is hired by Tachibana as a real estate agent. And Kiryu's involvement with Tachibana real estate causes him to be targeted by members of the Dojima family, particularly his three lieutenants, Daisuke Kuze, again, Hiroki Owano, and uh, Keiji Shibusawa. Uh, Kiryu decides to sever ties with his associates, including his oath brother, uh, Akira Nishikiyama in a very dramatic uh, scene that involves tears, I believe, if I, if it I does. remember, if I remember yeah. correctly. It uh, does. And uh, Kazama's family's uh, captain, Osamu Kashiwagi, in order to protect them from uh, Dojiba's wrath. And after a brief showdown against Kuze on the streets of Kamurocho, Kiryu is rescued by Tachibana, who later reveals... Hey, Lulun, you cut out there. From, you uh, cut from out, bas basically, from the beginning of this paragraph. Okay. 
Kiryu decides to uh, sever ties with his associates, including his oath brother, Akira Nishikiyama, in a scene that I believe involves tears, <laughs> if I remember correctly. It's very tragic. It's yes, very impassioned uh, bromance between the two. <laughs> <laughs> it's, it's, a good, it's a good bromance. It's a pretty big bromance. And uh, and uh, and Kazami fa- family's captain uh, Osamu Kajiwaki also Kajiwaki also involved in order to protect them from his wrath. And after a brief showdown with Kuze on the streets of Kamurocho, Kiryu is rescued by Tajibana, who later reveals his true identity as a former Chinese mafia member. I feel like Dojima's Do- wrath could be uh, the name of a uh, different game. <laughs> um, there's, a, there's a fair amount of wrath in this game. There's a, there is. Everyone, I love it. Everyone's got a wrath. Yeah, everyone's got wrath. I love that it's often spelled out on the screen in graffiti font. <laughs> so Tachibana later takes Kiryu to the Tojo clan's headquarters, where they negotiate with the acting second chairman, Takashi, Nihara, Takashi Nihara, and they reach an agreement to protect Kiryu from the uh, Dojima family. Later on, Tachibana reveals to Kiryu the identity of the empty lot's owner, it's a uh, psychologically induced blind woman named Makoto Makamuru, Makamura, who resides in uh, Sotenboro, Sotenbori, Osaka. In Sotenbori, uh, Majima runs a cabaret. <laughs> Majima runs a cabaret club after being exiled from the Tojo clan, which is the uh, botched hit years later, which involved his oath brother Taiga Sejima. I loved this uh, running the cabaret bit. <laughs> <laughs> like it felt pointless <laughs> in a way <laughs> that they devoted an entire chapter to it. It dragged on, but something about it, I just really he's, he's, really a, he's a major character, and he's got his own problems. He's being a, he's got a gun held to his head, so to speak, and otherwise he wouldn't be running the cabaret club. It's not not something that he wants to do. But no, exactly. But he's got a nice. He's got a nice suit. He does it. Yes, and a, and a solid, <laughs> solid eye patch. Yeah, and the backstory behind the eye patch very grisly. Oh God, yeah. <laughs> but yeah, despite the success of his club, he realizes it's just basically a way to keep him busy and uh, under surveillance. Majima's supervisor, Sukasa Sagawa. Tsukasa Sagawa of the Only Alliance offers him a chance to rejoin the Shimano family by assassinating a target named Makoto Makamura. This uh, might sound like a very familiar name from a few minutes ago. (laughs) Majima's search takes him to a chiropractic clinic where he learns that Makoto is a receptionist and under the protection of the clinic's owner, Wanhai Lee. Yes, Wanhai Lee, the uh, love-struck Love struck a very buff one high Lee. Majima kidnaps Makoto and takes her to an abandoned warehouse where he keeps her while he tries to figure out why she's being hunted. And uh, Lee suggests mur- murdering a lookalike of Makoto and using the body to trick Majima's body- bosses, uh, which is not the most uh, direct way that I would have think, thought, think of getting out of the situation. <laughs> but for Lee, it seemed to make sense. I guess he's a Chinese guy or something. I don't know. <laughs> I don't know what the deal is there, but uh, Majima just refuses to do it. Uh, instead, a Yakuza patriarch carries out the deed, Majima, to lie to Sagawa about Makoto's murder. 
later on, Sagawa's men discover Majima's secret warehouse where he keeps Makoto, forcing both of them and Lee to flee. And they make it back to Lee's clinic to take his car, but it is rigged to explode, killing Lee in the process. Poor Lee, martyred on the martyr for his love. And uh, Sagawa tries to kill Majima and Makoto, but is stopped by a mysterious assailant who carries Makoto away. Uh, Sagawa and Majima work together to find the identity of Makoto's new captor. Majima visits Homari Nishitani of the Omi Alliance in prison and learns from him that the man is Masaru Sera, president of the Nikyo Consortium, a secret organization within the Tojo clan. Nishitani is a great fight. He's, a, he's the guy with the super quick moves. He just he vanishes while you're, oh trying to, while you're trying to punch him. <sighs> yeah, yeah. That's a, he's a tough a, one. He's a, he, he plays dead, and you go up there, and then he like shanks you a couple of times. Very difficult. Yeah. Uh, after uh, Nishitani is betrayed and killed by one of the police officers in the station, uh, Majima makes his escape and returns to Sagawa, and both of them head to the consortium's headquarters. Uh, so yeah, Majima, Majima storms through the base and confronts Sarah, who refers to him, who reveals to him that Makoto had already been taken away by Tachibana Real Estate's men prior to Majima's arrival. Sarah is then shot in the back by Sagawa, who pulls Kiru's business card from Sarah's pocket. We found out that eight hours before Majima arrived at the consortium HQ, Kiryu and Tachibana's right-hand man, Jun Oda, met with Sarah and escorted Makoto back to Kamurocho. On the way back, they're pursued by uh, Shibusawa and his men. They narrowly escape Shibusawa and hide at a construction site, but Oda tries to betray them. A bastard. Um, <laughs> that Oda. Yeah. Once uh, Kiryu kicks his ass, very satisfyingly, Oda reveals that Makoto is Tachibana's biological sister and that he was the person who sold Makoto to the Korean mafia many years ago when she moved from China to Sotenbori in search of Tachibana. Kiryu and Makoto have to leave Oda behind as they return to uh, Kamurocho, and Oda is killed by Shibusawa for, sal- failing, for failing to deliver Makoto to him, as was promised. Poor Makoto. I know, she is just, just a pawn. I know, she's just getting handed off from one Indeed. asshole to another. Indeed. Uh, Except for our hero. Yes, yes, yes. Who cares about her? Mm-hmm. Upon returning to Kamurocho, Kiryu meets up with Tachibana and prepares to take him to see Makoto, but is stopped by Dojima family members. Get used to that. You get stopped by a lot of Dojima <laughs> family members in the game. Mm-hmm. <laughs> and just random thugs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> there are so many random thugs. Yes, yes. Pretty much like every five steps, you'll run mm-hmm. into a Dojima family member. Uh, uh, he also runs into a Chinese assassin who was hired by Dojima to set up the empty lot murder and frame Kiryu. Uh, Tachibana willfully surrenders and uh, goes to Laogui in order to spare Kiryu. And after recovering, Kiryu meets Nishika- Nishikiyama and uh, they reconcile. And the two of them track down Tachibana, who is uh, tortured by Kuze and his men in a basement. They discuss- successfully defeat Kuze again. Uh, Kuze shows up many times. God, uh, yeah, I know. As, as a boss fight. But Tachibana succumbs to his injuries and dies. Tragic, very sad. Uh, yeah. 
and a sad scene, right? Yeah, it's a solid uh, dramatic death scene, uh, cutscene in that one. Majima and Sagawa travel to Kamurocho in search of Makoto, and the two learn from the head of the Shimano family, Futochi Shimano, that he never intended to kill Komodo, Makoto, uh, and that he knew Majima wouldn't be able to follow the order. Basically, he hoped that Majima would gain Makoto's trust and convince her to give the empty lots deed to Shimano without trouble. This is a really hyper-convoluted way to uh, get her to uh, just give up the deed to the MC Lots. <laughs> if you're not having enough trouble tracking all these Japanese names to begin with, there's the actual machinations of the real estate deed. <laughs> yeah. This would this would have been a good time for uh, for either a a chimp to turn to show up and uh, <laughs> holding like a cigar and be like let's explain what's happened so far <laughs> or at least like uh, what happens in Persona Five when they do a really overly confusing plot twist yeah. or overly convoluted plot twist they basically uh, just give you a PowerPoint of uh, what happened <laughs> uh, but yeah. Later, Majima searches for Kiryu and battles against both Kishi, Kishiwaga and Nikishiyama. He learns from the latter about Makoto's disappearance and goes to the empty lot where he finds Makoto. Majima learns that Makoto has partially regained her vision following Tachibana's death and that she wishes to avenge her brother by demanding Dojima's three lieutenants' heads in, in exchange for the empty lot deed, which seems pretty reasonable to me. She escapes Majima and goes to meet Dojima in a attempt to negotiate a deal. Dojima, however, refuses to accept that deal and uh, has Lao Gui shoot her instead, just as Majima arrives at the scene. After cleaning out uh, Dojima's men, Majima and Sarah, who survived Sagawa's gunshot, rush Makoto to the hospital. And uh, Shibisawa later learns that Makoto survived and says he'll have to tra- he'll track her down at all costs, forcing Kiryu to attempt to stop him. And he and Nishikiyama travel to the docks where the Nikyo have put Makoto on one of their ships. A fight breaks out between Shibisawa's men and the Nikyo, as well as members of the Kasama family led by Kashiwagi. Uh, Kiryu confronts and battles Shibisawa and wins but Nish- Nishikiyama stops Kiryu from killing him, not wanting her- him to cross the line. Meanwhile, Majima arrives at Dojima family's headquarters, taking down every one of its members along the way, including Owano. Uh, Owano is killed while trying to defend Majima from Lao Gui, and uh, Dojima then commands the assassin to kill Majima, but the la- la- latter prevails and prepares to murder both of them. Sarah arrives to s- and stops Majima and announcing his new ownership of the empty lot and convincing him to stand down. It's a lot of trouble for an empty lot. I know. It's not even that big of an empty lot. I know. <laughs> Basically, so he instructs Majima to kill Shimano for betraying the Tojo clan for the Omi Alliance. But Majima spares him instead, since he still wants to learn the truth between uh, Sejima's fate. Shimano kills an Omi Alliance envoy in return to deny his involvement with them, and reinstates Majima into his family. In January of 1989, a month following the incident, Sarah is promoted to third chairman of the Tojo clan for his acquisition of the empty lot. Kiryu sets out to find his own path as the Yakuza by rejoining the uh, Dojima family. Which, for all the shit that they put him through, is 
Oh, it was a little surprising, but <laughs> yeah. It's tough, to, it's tough to say. It's tough to say what the motivations are of these of these Yakuza family. Yeah, and they get flushed out more in the later games, but <laughs> I think there was also a little bit of retconning going on here because this is like a prequel released, written and released after five games had been already made. Yeah. So they had to bring it back to the uh, Dojima family somehow. Sure. sure. So basically, as punishment for his failure to secure a deal with the Shimano family, Sagawa is killed by members of the Omi Allowan- uh, Alliance. Majima, inspired by Lee and Nishitani, decides to adopt a more crazy, carefree personality. He decides to uh, just fucking go for it. Um, <laughs> he encounters Makoto. <clears throat> He encounters Makoto, who uh, doesn't recognize him, as well as her doctor, who has developed feelings for her. Majima encourages the doctor to take care of Makoto, then leaves the scene. Very, like, sad and honorable, but tragic. It's great that Makoto is is finding somebody. Yeah, it's true. It's true. And then in a post-credit scene, Makoto visits the empty lot to pay respects to her brother and finds her ritual... uh, and finds her wristwatch, repaired by Majima, buried in the ground. In the fi- game's final scene, Majima and Kiryu come face-to-face in the, sh- in the streets of uh, Kamurocho. Nice. Which sets you up for many future games. <laughs> <laughs> I will say the climactic fighting uh, sequences are pretty awesome. There's some- something about the, the whole the progression of it. It gets more and more intense. And, and that final battle is pretty... It's hard, but not too hard, because you slog through the entire game. I thought it was well-designed. Yeah, yeah, it goes... It, it's, the game is balanced really well, as far as... You don't have to do a ton of pointless, just, like, grinding, just to right. get up to a level where you can beat the bosses. And... You also don't have to necessarily, you know, depending on the difficulty level you play on, you don't necessarily have to become the greatest at the action sequences, but they do a really good job of building up the tension without ever throwing something that's totally impossible at you. At worst, it's going to be something where it's almost there's like an element of it being a puzzle boss where it's like, oh, how does this boss just keep on coming back and getting back up and fighting me again? Mm-hmm. You know, Cu- kind of Cu- finding out. Kuze is one of those. He, he actually was hard for me the first time I faced him. Yeah. I was like, why is this so hard? I don't know. Yeah. I'm last in this game. But then you figure, figure out his tendencies and then you're able to beat them. Um, yeah, yeah, it's that kind of classic like Dark Souls thing where it's like the first time you come across an enemy, you think I'm never gonna beat this beat this enemy. Right. They're gonna just absolutely slaughter me, and then you figure out what their tells are and what their what their just like tendencies and like weaknesses are, and you just puzzle it out. And 
obviously uh, Yakuza is not nearly as difficult a game as uh, Dark Souls. Right. But uh, there's a little bit of that kind of like puzzle, puzzle solving within the actual like battle gameplay going on there. They're not meant to be easy, but they're not no. crazy hard either. Yeah, yeah. side quest with the portable phone there's this guy that's outside the uh, nightclub 
and he's super excited about this new technology and and it happened and it's like this this basically this phone I, <laughs> it's I, like, no i came phone. across that one but i didn't actually play it <laughs> it's it's totally ridiculous as well there are some bullies that come up and try to beat up the guy and take his portable phone before cell phones <laughs> and and you have to defend him yeah i know i know I love that. And I just wanted to, because my mic had just cut out for a second there while you were running through the side quests, I just wanted to cut, just wanted to mention about the video game kid. The thing about the video game story is that's just really classic is it's a total callback to the semi-myth that Dragon Quest became so popular in Japan in the 80s that they schools that the government ordered that it not be sold during school hours wow and this has been like a classic myth in video game lore i think it's it got actually got started in like a nintendo power and i think it was dragon quest 3 but uh, yeah this is that was that whole thing was just a total nod to the phenomenon that was dragon quest in japan in the 80s which was like people lining up like they were lining up for iphones in like 2011 yes yes and there is a quite a long line outside the the video game store in the game and also i didn't get a chance to comment on mr libido but uh, yeah one of my favorite characters in the game <laughs> shirtless guy thrusting for no reason <laughs> There are all kinds of like weird characters in the, uh, that you write, that can run into uh, in, just you know between missions that, that makes the game so interesting. One of the things that I really like about it is just as far as like flavor is you know, kind of flavor text is going up and talking to some of the homeless people. Yeah, because the way that they're portrayed is very it's they're portrayed in like very like empathetic way, mm-hmm. but also like. They know some like real shit about what's going on in town, and right. people don't give them the credit that they deserve. And uh, yeah, it's just there's there's so many things in this game and in this whole series that like just give you like so much more of a sense of the world that the game inhabits, mm-hmm. and uh, that's definitely part of it, as well as going into going into the uh, convenience stores. Yes, yes, lots of convenience stores. Vital. You need to power up. You need to get the, mm-hmm. the energy drinks. You got to get the energy energy drinks and the uh, cigarettes. Yeah, there are not many games that will go there and uh, <laughs> get do the cigarettes, but also actually have you spend time in a park full of homeless people as a homeless person. Totally. Awesome. Do you have any uh, final thoughts that you like? I would what say in in the search, I've been doing a lot of uh, searching for older games and replaying them. And I will say that this is definitely one of the one of the ones that everyone should check out. It's just so rich. It's got such a it's got great world building. It, it really if they were trying to build a, a Grand Theft Auto something like game, you can see how uh, it could have been even better than uh, than Grand Theft Auto is, and it definitely has a better story, I think, than, than a lot of the Rockstar games. Uh, right now, I'm playing a Saints Row Two, uh-huh. which is a uh, an very much in line with sort of the rock star stuff. Basically, you go around and you, you just bust shit up. 
it made me miss a really good story like uh, Yakuza Zero has. Yeah, yeah. I feel the feel like the story is definitely very like operatic and can be over the top and overly comp- convoluted. And this goes for all of the games, but it's also just really executed and delivered. And you really give a shit about the characters, which is a rare thing in video games, even even really like story-driven video games. Um, yeah, there could have been more female characters, certainly. Oh, yeah, I'm not going <laughs> <laughs> to... It's a dude game. It, it is, it is, yeah. And I think they've made some efforts to improve that in certain ways, but I, yeah, at, at its heart, it is, I am not really going to defend <laughs> right. <laughs> treatment of gender. Yeah. Basically, um, the only women in the game are hostesses, or, yeah, or Makoto, who's blind. Yeah, <laughs> yeah exactly. Yeah, I, and... I think that one of the things that makes it, there's a lot of things that really make it a phenomenal game and a really worthwhile series. And I encourage you to pick up like next one in the series if you like this one, Leland. Which one is that one? I, mean, I, got, uh, I have the Xbox, so it's, I don't get all of them. It should be uh, the remake of it. It should be uh, Yakuza Kiwami. Kiwami, yeah. Yeah. Because this is a saga that's like spanned now seven mainline games. I think number seven is coming out next year. But I I think one of the things that really sells it, in addition to the great storytelling and the actual, the characters that you actually care about is it's total willingness to be ridiculous. Um, And I read recently, it was somewhere recently. And I wish I could, site where I read this, but that since Sega post the Dreamcast has become like a shadow, very like a shadow of its former self, Yakuza has become the like place where all the Sega games have gone <laughs> that aren't Sonic, yeah. which I think is true if you look at all the mini games and everything. You, know, you get a little bit of, you get some role playing stuff, you get some like Streets of Rage style brawler stuff, you get a lot of the mini games which are reminiscent of Sega franchises, mainline franchises on their own. Right. And also just the fact that it's like willing to be so dramatic and serious and also so ridiculous and silly at the same time. I, it makes me just look, fucking love this franchise. Absolutely. Absolutely, it's they they do a good job of taking the the story seriously in the cutscenes, but then in the world itself, it's a uh, full of jokes and full of inside things, full of Easter eggs and all that good stuff. Totally awesome. Should we wrap it up here? I think we should. Okay, cool. Thanks for thanks for joining me, Leland. Yeah, no um, worries. Anytime yeah. you need a guest on a game. Oh yeah, one these. Have you done one for Control yet? <laughs> no, because it's not a Japanese role-playing game. So ah, that's right. That's right. That's right that's yeah, right. I yeah. I gotta, I gotta get, I gotta, you know, get you to play a game where uh, underage teen girls in like short skirts <laughs> kill God. I will say, I will say, the Japanese games that I played, the fighting is always on, usually on point, like just the button responsiveness and 
the animation, like all, it's usually, it stands out from, from games that are made over here. Yeah, yeah. I think there's, there's just, I feel, and this is necessarily the case with all like JRPGs, which a lot of them are still like turn-based, but I feel like most Japanese games that have some kind of action element still have a little bit of the arcade in them. Yeah. And this is something that I host to a podcast about JRPGs. Like Japanese games are generally my preference. Mm -hmm. And that also goes for the action games as well as the role-playing games. And a lot of it has to do with that. You know, I think of, I just played the last of us two and the previous kind of big Western game that I played was death stranding. Mm -hmm. And like the movement and the action in those games is so laborious. Like yeah. it just feels so just very chunky and slow right. to me. Whereas usually in a Japanese game, if you have action elements, like it's going to feel arcadey and it's going to feel super tight. I feel like maybe this is like a legacy of the first person shooter here. Like even the third person games feel like first person shooters sometimes and yeah, I don't know. I don't have any like huge aha thoughts about it, but uh, it does seem like the American games are lacking in the in terms of the speed and the animation uh, when it comes to this. When it comes to fighting, yeah, I think like in the case of Death Stranding, the slow slowness was the point of it. But yeah. I think back to like Horizon is a game. It was actually made in the same engine as uh, Death Stranding. Horizon is a game where. And I know you don't have a PS4, but Horizon was the game where you're in like a post-apocalypse and you're a woman who's fighting uh, robot dinosaurs. <laughs> Do you remember that? <laughs> Vaguely. Yeah, that game. And it was a good game, but like that game, you should have felt like a badass right. kicking, like, kicking the shit out of <laughs> robot dinosaurs in like a post-apocalyptic wasteland. And instead, it was like this very methodical, oh, you got to take down this part of the dinosaur, and you got to do this and this and this. And it's, I just want like a Platinum or Devil May Cry version of that. It's just, right. I'm just like kicking the shit out of the robot it's dinosaur 5,000 times. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> but that's also out of the, a little out of the purview right. of this podcast. Right. But yeah, I would love to have you on again. We'll figure out a good game. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You um, got to rec- recommend a few, and I'll, I'll take a look. Couple yeah, I will. Time these days. I will. We'll figure something out. Yeah. Is there anything you'd like to plug no, before man. you go? If you really want to know who I am, you can just visit my website, Leland Chuck, L-E-L-A-N-D-C-H-E-U-K.com. I've written a bunch of books. They're funny. Have at it. They are funny. What's your most recent one? No Good, Very Bad Asian. Indeed. It's very, it's, it's excellent. Thanks, man. Yeah, of course. And uh, this is usually the point where the guests like plug their like five podcasts. Let's see. I don't, don't, don't need to do that for me. <laughs> if there are a lot of, if there are writers out there, feel free to submit to my indie press, 713books.com. Oh, you know, we publish two to five books a year. They've been, they've done really well. For small press books, um, we just had a number one small press distribution bestseller this year. So, 
Oh, that's awesome. Yeah, Beth Lissick's book. Uh, did you, were you familiar with Beth Lissick back in the Bay no. Area days? No, no she was, I don't she think was so. like the uh, she was like the it girl in the '90s, in the late '90s, early 2000s, in San Francisco. Mm. She ran a, ran the Porchlight Reading series and was in movies and indie films and all all that good stuff. But um, oh, okay, yeah, I don't. I, I remember. Torchlight reading series, but she like I, she was basically. I think she wrote a column for SF Weekly, like uh, like the alt girl, Carrie Bradshaw. But that was back then. But yeah, this novel's great and it's done really well. So that's awesome. Yeah. As for me, I also host uh, Mega Ten Marathon, which is a game by game journey through the Shin Megami Tensei and Persona games. We just finished uh, Persona 3. We are moving on to the first of the Devil Survivor games. And the next episode should be out pretty soon. We also have a Patreon. If you want to just kick down a few bucks, help us just kind of cover our costs. Because we do have hosting costs and our recording software and editing software costs money and we're just trying to break even here. So if you can uh, kick down a few bucks and help us out on Patreon, that's uh, Mirror Image Studios. And I'll include, include a link to that in the uh, show notes. That would be greatly appreciated. And other than that, I don't really have anything else to plug. But uh, yeah, also Leland's website and other stuff will be in the show notes as well. But yeah, thanks so much for, for doing this with me, yeah. Leland. Good talking, man. Yeah, definitely. And uh, thank you all for listening.